Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Andrew Davidson, Chief Insights Officer for Compare Media, based in New York. And today, we have another episode where we will be talking about the 2021 trend predictions we made here at Mintel. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? And more importantly, what can we learn as we emerge from the pandemic? So joining me, I have three experts from Mintel Compare Media who each made predictions in their respective areas of expertise. Welcome, Emily Grosch, Lieran Emke, and Nicole Bond, all in Chicago. Welcome to the pod. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. Well, welcome. Well, please introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Emily Grosch. I am the Director of Insights for Telecom at Mintel Compare Media. I've been with the company for about eight and a half years, and I'm excited to look back at our telecom and media trends for the year today. I'm Lear Nemke. I'm a research manager on the Compro Media Omni team. I've been at Mintel for about uh, three and a half years now. And um, I'm also very excited to talk about our uh, omni-channel marketing trends for 2021. I'm Nicole Bond, and I'm a senior research analyst going on my second year with Mintel Compro Media. And I'm also excited to be talking about the 2021 insurance trends today. Excellent. Well, welcome. Right. Well, for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, what is Compare Media and how does it fit with Mintel? Comfort Media is Mintel's competitive marketing intelligence service. So we offer multi-channel marketing analysis that helps our clients in Canada and in the U.S. Um, across financial services, insurance, telecom, and more to understand what their competitors are up to. And part of that, we have an Omni product that specializes in digital marketing and how that kind of fits into the multi-channel marketing strategy. So we have a platform that showcases um, from a paid social standpoint and a display and video marketing standpoint where exactly brands are advertising in life. All right. And so today we're coming at uh, predictions from a marketing perspective. You know, consumers are spending more, but there are concerns around inflation, you know, supply chains, of course, uh, the Delta variant. You know, in terms of um, setting the stage, how would you describe the marketing recovery in the US for each of your respective areas of expertise? You know, I think this is a really uh, interesting time because uh, we're seeing consumer spending at an all-time high right now. So consumers are very spin-crazy. And um, I know in financial services in particular, we're actually seeing very large increases in marketing. But marketing doesn't necessarily look the same as it did in 2019. I think we're kind of seeing this overall tone of these brands wanting to help consumers as they navigate all of these kind of purchases that they're making. So, you know, this is looking like an increase in buy now, pay later products. So these brands are trying to instill you know, trust in consumers and help support them as they're navigating these purchases. We're also seeing an increase in credit building products uh, to kind of help these more underbanked consumers have a credit uh, presence um, in this new age. And then we're also seeing a lot of marketing with support for small businesses and advertising, supporting your local businesses and shopping small as well. So, you know, I definitely think that we're seeing this big increase in marketing. It's just evolved into more of a consumer first mm. type of perspective. I'd say in the telecom space, um, it, it's been really interesting to kind of watch the marketing over the past uh, couple of years because 
as many brands were really struggling and trying to revamp their marketing strategies in the telecom space and the streaming media space, spending time at home, not being able to go about your rigid, your you know, kind of usual routines, that was prime time for needing an internet connection and needing streaming video services to stay entertained. So we didn't see the huge shifts in marketing approaches that you may have observed in other um, sectors. I think right now, uh, the, at least in the internet space, there's kind of a shoring up and a preparation for heightened churn. So if we look at the past you know, year and a half, internet has been so important to consumers to stay connected at home, but uh, it, and churn has been very, very low. But as we look ahead, we start to see more activity in competition, and we start to see consumers maybe returning to some of their pre-pandemic routines, and the dependence on internet shifts a little bit, as does the kind of shopping around for a different internet provider. So that's going to be exciting to watch uh, in the months ahead. Yeah. And then as we look at insurance as a whole, the industry actually really stayed strong and continued to grow even throughout the year that was 2020. So health insurance had their typical marketing boost during the annual election period, like it does every year. Life insurance is interesting because they actually had the opportunity to capture um, increased market interest that came about because consumers, unfortunately, were forced to face their own mortality in a way like they had never had to do before. So they shifted marketing dollars to try and capture that attention and drive awareness for their products and what they could offer consumers in the long run. And then PNC, they continued to stay strong and vie for that top of mind recognition brand awareness, and brand awareness like they typically do um, through national TV and online video. But as Aaron mentioned, um, the marketing kind of shifts. Brands really had to examine what their branding was and what they stand for, you know, really Mm. kind of rethinking who they are and how to position and kind of shift attention from one channel to another um, to really capture that consumer um, attention and like where they're at during the pandemic. It's interesting, isn't it? Like it's from a, like it's from an overall spend perspective that it seems like it's very interesting looking at the different industries, the different sectors, because you have, you know, telecom and insurance where things remain relatively stable is what it sounds like. Whereas you have a lot more volatility in the financial services space, particularly uh, as it relates to credit cards and loans and um, anything tied uh, to the recovery of the economy. Um, all right. Interesting stuff. So, okay. Well, let's um, talk about our. 2021 predictions and i want to ask each of you is there obviously we can't go go through all of the predictions that we made we don't have time for that but is there one in particular that you each have where you sort of felt that we actually got that one particularly right uh for 2021 maybe one that you're particularly proud of i personally think i mean most of our trends i think we pretty much nailed it but the one that i am most proud (laughs) of is our go smaller go home trend um so it uh pretty much focus on the fact that brands were going to put small businesses and local advertising front and center of their campaigns. Um, And uh, I might be biased, but I think that we knocked that trend out of the park because that's definitely been a consistency theme that we've seen all throughout 2021 um, as we've kind of gone through this recovery phase. And for consumers, buying local has been very top of mind. So, um, we see this first and foremost with Amazon. So when they had their Prime Day back in, I believe it was late June, 
um, a huge focal point of their prime day was stressing local businesses. They even had a landing page where you could, you know, choose what area of the U.S. you wanted to purchase from. And they would provide you sales from those merchants in those areas. So um, it's kind of funny to think about uh, a big corporation like Amazon being so forceful about, you know, trying to stress the fact that they are shopping small, but it is a very interesting thing to see from them. And, you know, from a financial services standpoint, we saw an explosion of small business cards and products. Um, Brands like Capital One, you know, uh, either launched a library of small business cards or returned to advertising for those products as well. I mean, we also saw American Express really be first and foremost with their library of small business cards um, that they chose to advertise throughout 2021. Um, But we're also seeing new entrants within the small business space. So um, a very notable new move that we've seen is from Square. So first, they launched a business checking product. And this business checking product was positioned to kind of help um, I would say uh, the underbanked within small businesses. So they position themselves as kind of like a, a financial service that helps those business owners who weren't able to get a checking account from more of the traditional legacy banks. Um, but Square also purchased a firm. And when they announced this purchase of a firm, a buy now, pay later product, uh, they uh, were very. Uh, kind of first and foremost, leading with that uh, acquisition as being able to support the merchants that have Square. So they were very B2B focused with that acquisition for buy now, pay later products. So we're definitely seeing this overall theme um, with kind of like supporting both small businesses and small business owners. And even from a marketing standpoint, Emily, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this as well, but um, within telecom, we saw marketing campaigns from the likes of T-Mobile with their hometown initiative to try to get more rural areas into, what was it? Was it broadband? Uh, it's both the uh, 5G wireless and uh, home broadband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. T-Mobile has taken this really multifaceted approach to make connections with consumers living in rural areas and small towns. Um some of the ways that they've done this, they did a hometown tech Uber contest where they were investing millions of dollars in the winning small town where they came in and um, and and kind of made over uh, tech in the area. They also have looked to try to supplement their retail footprint because you don't always have a retail location in um, areas with a less dense population. So they have experts that will come to your home, will get you set up on your device. So kind of having that boots on the ground approach as well to supplement a lot of their larger awareness marketing that they did that focused on that hometown initiative, those small towns and um, the, the need to be connected in these areas. Yeah, that whole, the whole issue of access to technology has become front and center, hasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. So if I am going to talk about um, one of the trends that I think we did really well on, and, and I will echo Lee in here and say that I think we did a pretty good job across the board, um, but I really loved watching our trend multidimensional engagement play out. One piece of this trend was looking at how streaming media providers would 
work to implement new in-platform features and second screen engagements that would enable these rich multi-dimensional experiences and drive deeper engagement, especially around those experiences pertaining to gaming and sports betting. So this is really an emerging trend that we will certainly see evolve in the years to come, but there were a number of really key developments in those gaming and sports betting features this year. One, probably everybody's heard, Netflix is getting into games. So they are um, really investing in mobile gaming. It's a new genre for the platform and uh, it's, it's certainly a space to watch in the months ahead. On the sports betting front, Dish has incorporated DraftKings sports betting capabilities into its platform. Uh, we know that they're working to also bring similar functionality to their Sling TV streaming service. And Fubo TV is also getting into free-to-play games. They're going to launch their own sports book. Um, so a lot of activity here. And again, it's really emerging at this point, and we should see quite a bit of development in this space as we look at the years ahead. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting. Gaming really does represent an opportunity, doesn't it, for marketers? I was, I was looking at this just recently because I was noticing, you know, the likes of uh, Discover and Capital One are only sort of, there's only a couple of like, you know, card marketers that are out on sort of marketing on uh, platforms like Twitch. Um, and yet, you know, it, it's become so popular, this whole esports movement and gaming and, um, yeah, so it's quite a big opportunity right there. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of building off of Emily's idea of all of these companies kind of expanding um, into different industries or bringing things um, in-house, an insurance trend that I think, like all of us, that we hit on the head was industry interchange. So in a nutshell, this encompassed the idea that insurance would no longer exist in a silo. So we predicted that in 2021, insurers would appear in new industries. They would expand to different insurance lines. And the lessons they learned from disruptors like Amazon would become more relevant, um, resulting in these unique collaborations, including those with automakers, mortgage lenders, and even like e-commerce retailers. So where it really played out was whether it was between you know, blurring the lines between product offers or creating a more seamless experience or finding a new exciting way to bundle the products you already offered. Um, insurers really teamed up with various partners to expand their reach within the industry. So they were really trying to further ingrain themselves into the everyday lives of their consumers with this promise of convenience and added value. So we saw this across life insurance, health insurance, and even PNC. So when we have a trend in insurance that plays across all three, we know we really nailed it. So we saw Sun Life, um, who provides life insurance benefits to um, employees. They acquired DentaQuest, which is the largest, pro largest provider of Medicaid dental benefits in the United States. So they did this in order to enhance that overall employee benefit package they were able to offer. In the PNC space, Ford really provided some connected vehicle data to U U.S. auto insurers. So they did this through a telematics exchange, which not only allows auto insurers to really adjust their rates and kind of hit those on the head, um, they were also able to promote usage-based insurance, which really took off um, in 2020 and into 2021, um, so that they could kind of reward this safe driving behavior, but taking that on internally. 
And then in the healthcare space, in an effort to help customers engage with their well-being and focus on their health, we saw United Healthcare offer um, Apple Fitness Plus to its members for free for like for free just to kind of promote that and just add this value add perk to what they were already providing as far as like an insurance product. And then more, you know, blurging industries is this idea of we're seeing increasingly um, fintech companies such as SoFi and Elevest promoting their insurance partnerships. And they're doing this in order to bridge the gap between financial services and insurance. And they're showcasing how both of those investments can contribute to one's overall well-being. So across the industries, this definitely played out. um, And insurers were definitely aiming to be this one-stop shop in ways that really just offered increased ease and convenience. Do you think that they saw the sort of the the pandemic as then as an opportunity to sort of make acquisitions and invest in innovation? Yeah, absolutely. I think they were, you know, having to find ways to continue to provide, like prove their value to their customers. So insurance is such a, I don't want to say intangible product. You don't see it unless you need it and you never really want to use it. Um, So finding ways to keep, you know, people signed on and prevent switching behavior. It's all about adding value in a way that like is tangible. So like that Apple Fitness Plus membership, like I see that and I get to engage with it on a daily basis. And I know in the back of my mind that United Healthcare is the one that's providing that to me. Yeah. And it's interesting. In a somewhat related trend, I was looking back at our, our financial services trends and we had one called preparing and planning. So that sort of, you know, obviously has a connection there to insurance, but it was all about consumers rethinking how they plan for the future in the face of uncertainty and then sort of exploring the subsequent opportunities for brands. And we called out um, Bank of America because back in October of, of 2020, Bank of America launched something called Life Plan, which was a sort of digital tool that was incorporated into the app to allow customers to set goals like budgeting and uh, you know, improve their credit, save for a, a large, large item. I, I feel like this is what we particularly we did nail because the uh, just recently Bank of America announced that they got five million customers signed up in the first year. So that intrigued me. I looked back at our Compare Media Omni data and I saw that they'd been sending millions and millions of emails promoting that particular product. Th- more than thirty million emails in the last year promoting uh, Life Plan, and of course, it's something that's extending across the industry, more use of digital tools, but to not just sort of bolting them onto a product, but sort of getting better at proactively helping uh, customers on their financial journey. Um, All right. Well, okay. Well, let's talk about trends that didn't quite play out as expected. Anyone care to volunteer? This one's hard. I think I have one, though. Should we just end the podcast now? (laughs) (laughs) No, we can chat about it. I wouldn't necessarily say that this was something we got wrong. More like we just didn't get it as right as the other ones, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, you know? that's very diplomatically said. <laughs> um, so it is our fandom as a cultural currency trend. So the idea behind that trend is that these brands are going to tap into you know, different fandoms in order to connect with these cultural groups within those fandoms mm. and tailor their advertising accordingly. So Um, One of the examples that we brought up was uh, McDonald's having their Travis Barker and Jay Balvin meals in order to tap in those respective cultural groups, right, in 2020. Well, we did notice that McDonald's continued to um, release those meals, like with BTS and Saweetie. So um, obviously, that was a very successful campaign for McDonald's, and that was something that definitely fit into 
you know, phantom is a cultural currency. And the other trend that we noticed um, in the past year was this kind of phenomenon with hiring celebrities to become a part of the company. So like Jennifer Aniston was hired on for Vital Proteins. You know, Taco Bell brought on Lil Nas X as their chief impact officer. Um, ASAP Rocky became, you know, Klarna's CEO for the day. So, you know, that was a very interesting phenomenon that we noticed that kind of fit underneath that trend. But the thing about that and what we noticed mainly under that is that you know, the use of celebrity endorsements is not a new aspect of marketing in any way. And that was just kind of like utilizing celebrity endorsements in a new way. And so the true source of this trend, which was tapping into those cultural groups and creating campaigns um, mm. to kind of um, allow these brands to connect with these groups, we really only saw with the McDonald's campaign. And that was something that, you know, had already happened in 2020. So, um, you know, beyond just the celebrity endorsements, we really didn't see any more of that kind of tapping into fandoms. There may be some of a resurgence there. I was noticing last week, and I know, Leo, and we, you and I have talked about the aspiration card and the aspiration bank and its focus on uh, climate change. And then last Thursday, they launched, officially launched their credit cards. And of course, talking about celebrities, this, this is organization is backed by celebrities, Robert Downey Jr., Leonardo DiCaprio, Orlando Bloom. Um, and it was uh, an amazing product launch because Robert Downey Jr. created a one-minute ad, which he then posted to his 51 million followers on Instagram, which, um, which, and so maybe there is something in this sort of um, uh, fandom idea that you'd, 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 you'd sort of come up with that last year. So uh, at least as it, as it relates to aspiration and fighting climate change. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think environmentalism and teasing that with kind of like the Marvel fandom um, definitely is very relevant to this uh, trend. The other thing I'd be interested to see is, you know, with um, what's going on with Squid Game right now and how that's become kind of like this big cultural phenomenon. And if any brands are going to piggyback off of how popular Squid Game is and because Squid Game is so like attuned to a specific culture and it's really exploded globally, how brands are going to incorporate that show in order to, you know, connect with new audiences. I think, uh, yeah, that's uh, helping Netflix right now, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be curious to see how long the uh, moment lasts for Squid Game. It's been, been getting a lot of buzz for at least a couple of weeks now. <laughs> now it'll be interesting if um, it really reminds me of how um, passionate people were for Stranger Things. And then, you know, when we saw the subsequent series or seasons be released for Stranger Things, we saw all of these other companies really jump on board. Like, I believe it was Burger King release a sponsored meal and have a sponsorship. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of brands attach themselves mm -hmm. to that show um, if and when more seasons come out for Squid Game. All right. Any others that we feel we didn't, that didn't play out as expected? I have a, an aspect of one of our trends that hasn't happened yet. I'm still, you know, waiting to see. But uh, one of our trends... I do, I do love, yeah. I do love this know? language, an aspect <laughs> of one of our trends. 
Explain that we didn't. Get, we got it right, but not as right as we thought. Yeah. Uh, this is this is good stuff. Well, one of the uh, trends we were I had identified for 2021 was the explosion of fixed wireless availability and marketing. And just for those listening, fixed wireless is another way to get your home internet. And it uses a cell signal to bring the internet to your home rather than a fiber or um, a cable line to do that. Um, And it has exploded this year, really led by T-Mobile and Verizon in the US. And part of that trend was that we had anticipated that we would see this kind of total wireless bundle where those providers would package your mobile wireless subscription and your home fixed wireless subscription into one bundled price point and kind of sell it as you know wireless to meet all of your connectivity needs. So we haven't seen that happen uh, yet. And I will say we definitely see bundled discounts where if you take both of those products from you know Verizon or T-Mobile, you're going to get a discount on your bill. But perhaps due to potential sticker shock of seeing one price point for those very expensive services, we haven't seen that kind of total wireless bundle that I thought we might see this year. So, so Emily, do you think that's still a do you think that's a trend that will play out in the future? I still think it's possible, um, especially because we see plenty of marketing where the price point is avoided. Uh, and I do think that bundles are so important for providers because it does help to drive stickiness long term. And uh, that could be you know, one good approach to doing that. Do you have one, Nicole? Um, so I think, you know, kind of just jumping on this bandwagon of we didn't quite miss it um, and parts of it played out um, was underwriting overhaul. So on one side of this, it was the idea that insurers were kind of going to shift their coverage and like what they interpret as, you know, a typical insurance coverage to really reflect and meet evolving marketing conditions and consumer expectations. So an example of this, how it played out was we saw Nationwide introduce this unique bundle offering. It was its work from home insurance, which, you know, for the first time combined auto, home and or renters, and then identity theft coverage. So they were kind of taking, you know, the current landscape and then shifting into a product offering that really met consumers where they were at. But the part of this that we didn't quite hit um, was the idea that brands were going to consider what it means for underwriting to be unbiased. So the process of determining rates, determining, you know, coverages, all of that, you know, has so many factors that go in and insurance as a whole has kind of been under fire for their bias practices um, within, you know, that decision-making process. So while there is a ton of regulatory tape and, you know, a lot of things that they have to go through, um, we definitely thought we would see this, you know, start to play out more. Mm. Um, For example, Root had, you know, made the commitment that they're going to, you know, take credit scores out of this process, you know, in, you know, the next 10 years. So like that is one thing that's definitely going to play out in the long run. But as far as this happening across the industry, we really only saw like the beginning stages of it. So for the first time, we saw traditional insurers join conversations around hot topic social issues, which they typically steer clear of. So they were outwardly showing their support, issuing sentiments, you know, across their social media platforms, reaching out to, you know, their current customers, you know, with statements from their CEOs that were kind of taking a stance in areas in which they, you know, have not done before. 
but that's there's a long way between you know showing support and having that ingrained into your product offerings so in that regard there's still a gap um, and insurers still have a long way to go in order to kind of make that underwriting process a bit more unbiased in the long run so, I mean, it sounds like in all of our, each of these areas, you know, we touched on, you know, for the most part, we, we touched on themes and, and emerging trends that were relevant. You know, some perhaps haven't evolved as anticipated or at the pace that we anticipated, but we, we definitely touched on relevant themes. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I did a podcast uh, with some, some other uh, trend predictors, and we talked about... Um, the 2021 trend predictions for the global consumer food and drink as well as beauty and personal care episode 76 if uh, anyone's interested in listening to that but i asked uh, like the guests back then how they would grade their predictions um so i'm going to ask the same question to you how would you grade our or your trend predictions this year can you give me a, a grade i'm gonna give us an a um i think our <laughs> i mean I will. I think our trends really hit home on, you know, pressing issues and hot topics that were happening, not only in one branch of insurance, but in all of them. So like I mentioned earlier, to be able to do that, you know, we really, we hit them home. We hit them home really. Um, So while we may not have hit that underwriting overhaul on the head, it wasn't because we were wrong. It's because we were early. Of course. I mean, I would give us an A also. I might tack a minus on the end just because there were some more specifics like the bundle approach I just mentioned that um, didn't quite play out. So, uh, but I think similar to what Nicole said, um, we were really on top of consumer attitudes that were changing in terms of, you know, the forces shaping the marketplace this year and how we thought providers would respond to some of those changes. I can't believe I'm going to be the third A. <laughs> Not A plus? I thought for sure uh, somebody was going to save you. <laughs> so I'll also, um, I'll go down Emily's route and also do an A minus just because of, um, you know, the fandom one didn't hit the nail or hit the nail exactly on the head, but we did see some trends within that area. But I do think that, you know, for the most part, we were really forward thinking and we definitely nailed it for um, predicting that brands were going to be, you know, very focused on small businesses. We also predicted that video was going to be a huge part of these campaigns. And we're absolutely seeing more spend within, you know, video platforms as well as, you know, more brands are stressing brand awareness campaigns, which are very facilitate very well on video. Um, and then um, finally, we have reasonable responsibility and a lot of brands are selling their values over their products. So I think that we were very much on top of, you know, what exactly we're going to be the trends this year. So. Well, we held it. We hold ourselves to a high standard at Mintel, and it's important to reflect on on what we got right and what we got wrong, and and to think about it because obviously to make to improve our our trend predictions for the next year. Which, um, you know, I know we haven't finalised our twenty twenty two predictions. I know you're all working on those, but um, is there anything you can sort of perhaps reveal as a sneak peek? Any sort of themes emerging or any brands to watch uh, that? Um, you could share? Um, I guess in terms of a a theme that we've been looking at, and I'm not going to get into specifics because I want to keep everyone waiting with bated breath for our 2022 trends. Um, But we've been thinking a lot about um, the importance of 
offline experiences and what those could come to mean in 2022 after spending so much time engaging virtually throughout the pandemic. So our perspectives are kind of looking at how that touches each of the industries that we support. That's one of the key themes. So more to come on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of taking a you know, step back. Um, I think we're going to kind of see that lines between marketing and entertainment begin to blur, especially within like the PNC industry. So these insurers that, you know, Progressive, State Farm, Geico, they have been always, you know, top advertisers. They're really hitting national TV hard. Um, But in order to kind of stand out and really kind of continue to earn that top of mind recognition, they're going to have to find a way to create content that gives consumers a little bit more, something that they can hang on to and they actually begin to enjoy. Um, And while they've been on these channels, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Progressive State Farm and specifically Geico kind of carve out their niches. Um, You're seeing Progressive do like almost like commercial content series. State Farm is really leaning into their Jake from State Farm character. And then Geico on the same front is kind of taking stuff offline, like Emily mentioned, and like creating an ice cream brand, you know, with tag team based on their popular scoop there. It is commercial. So I think while they're all vying for top of mind recognition, they're going to end up reaching to different audiences in ways that they haven't really been able to connect with them before. So I also don't want to give too much away, but you know, um, I think what we've been seeing a lot of in 2021 is this idea of empowering consumers with control. Um, And we're predicting that in 2022, this is going to be manifested in a new way given the upcoming struggles with supply chain issues. So a lot of brands are going to find ways to empower their consumers with control facing these huge increases in prices in the upcoming year. Intriguing. Well, I'm looking forward to our 2022 uh, trends. Okay, well, you heard it here. Thank you, Emily, Learen, and Nicole. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. Um, if you want to know more about Mintel, who we are, and what we do, head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Bye for now. Bye.